you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Exodus chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, and also 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read one verse from 1 Peter chapter 2. First reading from Exodus chapter 19, beginning with verse number 3 of Exodus chapter 19, and Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a particular treasure unto me above all a particular treasure unto me, he says. For all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is what the Lord told Moses to tell the children of Israel, you are a particular treasure unto me above all people, and ye shall be a kingdom of priests. Moving into the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, a very familiar scripture that correlates with what the Lord told Moses to tell the people now in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, speaking now to the church of the living God, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. For the help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to preach a royal priesthood. 
a royal priesthood. Father, help us this morning to speak what you put upon our heart. Let the word of God touch and strengthen hearts in this room today. Lord, you know the need in every life. And I pray now that through your word, God, that people find strength and help in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are a royal priesthood. You can be seated. God bless you. As I begin studying for a complex message such as I am bringing today, which ties both the Old and New Testament together, I usually go back to the very beginning of when I find the reference points of what I am wanting to bring out. And as I go back into the Old Testament and find the first priest that was mentioned in the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of Melchizedek. Now, for those that are Bible scholars, and I know we have several in this room that study your Bible on a regular basis and have gotten deep into the Scripture, you understand the moment that I mention Melchizedek that there could be an interesting subject matter here, one of the most mysterious individuals in Scripture because people, many ideas of who Melchizedek was or was it a person or what was the idea of Melchizedek in Scripture? Was it an actual individual? Was it an idea? Um, because he's so mysterious in Scripture and the Bible says several things about him he was both king and priest. The scripture said he had no beginning and no ending. And so therefore, we start looking and trying to imagine who he was. And perhaps, perhaps he was an idea of what was, what was coming. In the New Testament, we understand the scripture says that Jesus came after the order of Melchizedek. And he became our great high priest. Now, I could preach on this for a while, and I'm not sure that I would draw any deep conclusions at the end. I know people that are bent on the fact that they have all the answers to this, and I'll let them go on with their ideology that they really know. But if we read on into the book of Exodus, I don't want to bog down there, I just wanted to lay that idea out and start out with a little bit of in our mind this morning, our mind kind of being frazzled a little bit as we began to ponder the thoughts of Melchizedek and who he is and, and him being the first priest. But if we read on into the book of Exodus, we find that it was Aaron who became the first high priest over Israel. Then follow that lineage of Aaron and the Aaronian priest. And you will see that those priests of Aaron who followed clearly acquired soul right to the priesthood. Stay with me for a few moments. Even if, you, if I'm a little over your head, I'm going to bring this back together in a few moments. And the application is going to be applicable for everybody in this room. Then follow 
that lineage and you will see that the priesthood belonged to the lineage of Aaron. After Aaron, we read about the anointing of the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was originally made up of those who performed services associated with public worship. The Levites, the tribe of Levi, one of the tribes of Israel, the Levites were the musicians and the worshipers. They also were more than just the musicians and the worshipers. They were more than just the praise team. They also were gatekeepers and they were guardians of the temple and the things that were holy. Now keep in mind, they were more than just drummers and keyboard players and praise singers and worship leaders, but they also were the sound team and they also were the maintenance team. They were also the ones that carried the temple, uh, the tabernacle, and set up the tabernacle and were responsible for everything to do with worship. They were the ones that had everything that was connected to the things of God were laid upon the shoulders of the Levites. And the Levitical priesthood was made up of those who performed these services associated with public worship. They were guardians of the temple and of the things that were holy. I'm going to say that again. They were guardians of the temple and the things that were holy. That's very important for you to get in the parallel as I bring this together today. The Levites, the priests, were guardians of the temple and the things that were holy. The Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel who descended from Levi, one of the 12 sons, sons of Jacob that went on to become the high priest over Israel. During the exodus from Egypt, the Levite, the Levites were particularly zealous in protecting the Mosaic law in the face of those who were, who were worshiping the golden calf. It was the Levites that put up a fight against the golden calf worship. They knew that was not true worship to Jehovah, and so it was the Levites that said, that's not how you're supposed to worship. That's not right worship. That, that's worship to a golden calf, to an image. That's idolatry. That's not worship to Jehovah God. Now, there are so many things that we could draw from this, but some scholars believe that the fact that the Levites stood, stood strong for true worship may have been the reason that the Levites were elevated to their priestly status. Whether that's the fact or not, it would be a good synopsis to consider that maybe that is what the story is really about. In the end, they really were responsible for the things that were holy and the worship that went on in the temple. The Levites had full responsibility for the tabernacle or the temple in their worship. Now, in order for one to become a Levitical priest, there was one catch. 
they had to be born into the family of priests. So the commoners were, they were out of luck. They, they, if they weren't born the son of a priest, they could never become a priest. They had to be born, everybody say born. They had to be born to a priest, the son of a priest, in order to operate and minister as a priest. So the opportunity to become a high priest certainly was only a select few of those that were the sons of the priest. So it was a family tradition. It was the priest and then the sons of the priest that carried on the work of the tabernacle and of the temple. There, there was a generational anointing for the priesthood. It, it was a generational thing. Exodus chapter 40 verse 15 speaks about this generation, this generational anointing. The scripture said, and thou shalt anoint them, and thou didst anoint, their, as thou did, did anoint their father Aaron, that they may minister to me in the priest's office. For their anointing, Exodus 40 and 15 says, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So when you read it, don't leave out the word there because it is speaking personal that it was their generations. So it would be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. It did not say that it is going to be an eternal priesthood. Let's stay with me for just a few more moments and this is going to come home and we're going to begin to see how we fit into this picture. The Levitical priest were to officiate over many offerings and many things of, 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 of under the law of Moses. They, they ministered at the Passover and brought about the Passover sacrifice. They offered the sin offering, the guilt offering. They were the ones that laid hands upon the scapegoat and offered the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the heave offerings, the meal offerings, the drink offerings, the thank offerings. And they also were the one that would burn incense to create an atmosphere. Remember, everything that was holy, everything that was about worship was all placed into the hands of this Levitical priesthood that was anointed sons of the priest and it was an anointing that would last through their generations. Among these priests also were, was one that would be anointed as the high priest and he would serve in special unique functions such as in, entering into the holies of holies once a year on the day of atonement and only one time could he, could he do this. In Exodus 19, God speaks to Israel and, and perhaps I, I believe that this is my belief in this in this idea that I'm bringing to you today, God in Exodus 19 and 6, I believe was speaking prophetically beyond the generation that was there because often prophecies were connected to the here and now in that generation. But then there was a New Testament application to everything that was brought about. 
And I believe in Exodus 19 and 6, God is speaking to Israel, but prophetically is speaking to our generation and our day. And he said, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. I'm most certain that this was prophetic for the New Testament church. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 that I read into your hearing becomes very clear. But ye are, everybody say that's me. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Wait, me? I'm not a priest. I'm, somebody said, I, I, how am I uh, in the royal, uh, a royal priesthood? How, how could I be part of a royal priesthood? He said, for you are a chosen generation. And he tied in a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you should show forth the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at the connection here when it begins to speak to the New Testament church. He says, for I have chosen you, the New Testament church, and you are the royal priesthood of the Old Testament. You are to see about everything that happens in the tabernacle, in the temple. You are to oversee everything that is connected to worship and the things that are holy. You can't throw it over your shoulder. You are child of God. You are saved individual. You are the chosen generation. You are the royal priesthood and you should show forth the praises of him who brought you out of darkness because you have a responsibility to worship to the house of God, to the things of God. It is you that have been chosen. You are the royal priesthood. Look at your neighbor and tell them you look royal today. Come on, look at your other neighbor and tell them you look royal today because you are a royal priesthood. That means, oh, well, I, I didn't come from anything royal. I didn't come from any background of royalty. I don't have money. I don't have pedigree. I don't have background. But I come today to tell you when you were born again of the water and of the spirit, Spirit, you were born a new creature. You took on the name of Jesus and you have royal blood flowing through your veins. You are a royal priesthood. You are who Jesus says you are. You are a child of the Most High God. You are a child of the King of Kings. You are a royal priesthood. I recognize that I would be foolish today to ignore the generational blessings that our children and grandchildren have experienced because they were born second, third, fourth, or fifth generation apostolic. I would be foolish to, to ignore the blessings that is connected to that. There's a lot of blessing to that. If you're here this morning and you have a heritage, you ought to stop for a moment and say, thank you, Lord, for my heritage. 
thank you that I had a mama or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa that showed me and taught me the way of the Lord. We would be foolish to not look at the idea and how it relates to where we are. There's great blessing in having a heritage in the church. I was born during my dad's first pastorate in a little community in East Texas where he served a church for 11 years. And his second, about his second year or third year as pastor there, I was born. I grew up in and around the church. It's all I've ever known. I don't know a lot about the things of the world. I don't know a lot about, uh, about that whole lifestyle. I grew up in and around. And I am blessed today to be able, I, I was able to launch my ministry off the shoulders of my father. And then I'm blessed today to have three sons, all three that launched their ministries off of my shoulders. So I would be foolish this morning to not look at the blessing and the benefit of the generational anointing. There's great blessing in having a heritage in the church. If you're first generation apostolic, you have started something for your family that they are going to look back to this moment because they're going to go further and be more and be greater because you made a decision to say this is where I'm going to put my feet and where I'm going to stand. Your family will be blessed because of your decision. Our children learn from our mistakes and they grow from our experiences. They launch their ministries and their lives from our shoulders. They learn young what it takes years for us to gain by experience. It puts them a little ahead of the curve. There is a blessing in what we have, generational apostolics, what we have received. And there is a greater blessing in what we have passed down. And it is a tremendous blessing for us to watch them go far beyond what we ever dreamed of accomplishing. My wife and I often say our greatest joy, the scripture says it, but we say it too, our greatest joy is watching our sons walk in truth. And lead by example. But don't fret. If you're first generation apostolic, while the craft and the skill set may be different for those without the heritage of the priesthood, we are not born into a Levitical priesthood of earthly genealogy. 
thank God Almighty that we are born again into the lineage of our high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. We are born into his lineage. And therefore we are shaped into his likeness and into his image and formed into his image. He is our high priest. Oh, we could preach on this for a while today. And so therefore he is our example and he is our overseer and so you need to be very very careful today that you don't get preacher religion and decide that I want to be like that preacher or that preacher what we need to do is we want to be like our high priest we need to get our eyes off of men and get our eyes on God and start saying I am going to look to my high priest and I want to be like him and walk like him and talk like him and become like him because our family is born in, on a church pew doesn't mean that they'll automatically walk in the ways of the Lord. They can make their own decisions. But can I meddle for just a little while this morning to tell you that there is a job for every generational priest. Everybody say that's me because you are the royal priesthood that I'm preaching to this morning. Every person in this room, you have a responsibility. It was the responsibility of the priest to pass on to the next generation everything that they have learned and everything that they have experienced. They were to tell the stories of how God had brought them out. They were to pass on the traditions. They were to tell them, this is how you do it. This is the way you do it. This is the way you walk. This is the way you live. This is the. These are the blessings of serving God. There is a job for every one of us to do. You ought to not do anything alone. You need to have a generation behind you with you. Whether it is your biological children or not, every person in this room needs to have a following that you bring along with you everywhere that you go and you are teaching them this is where we were when God saved us. This is what God did. This is how God brought me out. This is how God changed my life. This is how God made a way for me. This is when God healed me. This is when God provided for me. This is when he gave me a job. This is when he gave me a house. This is when he blessed me. This is when he anointed me. They need to hear the story. They need to be taught the way. If you're doing anything in the kingdom of God, I tell our, I tell Brother Danny and Sister Cheryl, I, I tell the newcomers, I tell these that have children, don't do ministry by yourself. Don't put your kids in daycare and you go about ministry. Bring them along with you. Have them there with you. Teach them what you're doing. Let them see. Oh, somebody may say, well, it would be so much easier. Yes, it would, but we have a responsibility to the next generation. This church needs to become a generational church that is passing everything we have ever experienced and been blessed with down to the next generation. Now I understand that every generation also has a job to do. They must decide for themselves. Just because they're born into the lineage of a priest and have the possibilities of the priesthood doesn't mean that they're going to become a priest. They had to decide if they were going to walk worthy of the calling of the priesthood by which they were called. They had to decide. 
in the scripture, the priest is significant because he is the watchman over the things of God. If there is one thing that I believe this generation needs to realize, it is that the voice of the priest cannot be silent. We live in a generation that is trying their best to silence the voice of the priest. What do you mean, pastor? I'm talking about the priest of the home because you are the royal priesthood. And the Bible says that the head of the household must be the voice, is the priest of the home, must be the overseer of the home. But we live in a world and in a culture that is trying to silence the voice of godly men and godly women that are trying to train up their family, their children and their grandchildren in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But we live in a day when it is of utmost importance for the watchman to stand for the priest of the home to stand and declare this is how we feel about God. This is what we're going to do in our home. There is a job that must be fulfilled and the voice of the priest must not be silent. The priest must be aware of the times in which we live. This is an evil hour in which we live, these evil times. We, you can sense the presence of evil all around us. We are living in a time of strong delusion, a time when men are believing things that I never thought possible to believe. Jesus said, except the days be shortened, even the very elect would be deceived. We're living in a time when you can sense the very presence of demonic powers as they come against the home and the family, much less the church. We should recognize the fact that the enemy has come but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. In these times, men's hearts, Luke 21 says, shall fail them for fear. It's at a time such as this, as it was in the days of Noah, the Bible said, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We are living in that hour. Paul spoke about these times being the last days. He calls them perilous times. We must be on guard during these perilous times. No, I'm not just talking to the ministers. I'm not just talking to the church staff. I'm not just talking to the preachers. I'm talking to the royal priesthood of Christian Life Church, to the head of every household, to the priest of every home. Satan has a master plan in these last days. He's laid out a strategy to neutralize this nation, to deceive this generation, and to spoil the work of the church and of every high priest in every home to call them to become spiritually ineffective. But I come this morning to declare there are some that are going to place their feet upon the rock and declare in these last days we will stand for truth and the word of God. What are you talking about, pastor? We bellyache and make political the idea of prayer being taken out of schools. But long before prayer was taken out of schools, prayer was taken out of homes. 
We fuss about Bibles being taken out of schools, but we never crack a Bible in our home. Come on, royal priesthood. We've got to stand in this evil day, get our nose in the book, teach our kids the ways of God, teach our family the way of God, teach our neighborhood the ways of God. We have a job to do. It is not up to the government. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It matters who is doing what in your home. God is declaring, you are a kingdom of priests and your job is to cry out. You're responsible for the things of God. You're responsible for worship. You're responsible for everything that has to do with godliness. Oh my Lord, we need an old time revival. Not only in our hearts and churches. We need an old-fashioned revival across this land. Everybody's searching for a new way. Everybody's searching for a new word. Everybody's searching for a new voice. Somebody called me this week, and they were asking me about preachers and different preachers and who they thought, and they made a statement to me. You know, we're living in a day when everybody is looking for something new, some little, little new cliche, some little new way of, well, you better be careful in these end times. I'm here to tell you there is only one way, and his name is Jesus. It may sound old-fashioned. It may sound antiquated, but what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're living in the end times. Paul said it's high time for us to wake out of sleep and now our salvation is nearer than we believe. I believe it is crucial time for the church. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. He said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you don't have anything. Let me speak to you, royal priesthood. There is nothing for you, you to worry about. You have God on your side, and if God be for us, who can be against us? The church is not going down. The church is going up. The, your, your family doesn't have to go down. God is for you. He's on your side. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. But the priest must be aware. The church is at a crossroads today. Will we continue to call sin, sin, or will we pretend not to see it at all? Sin used to be outside of the church, and now it's moved into the church. Isaiah 58 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions. God spoke to Israel in Isaiah 62 and said, I have set... Watchman upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. There were watchmen physically set on the walls of Jerusalem, and they were to watch as the enemy would approach. They would cry out into the city. They were on top of the wall. They would look out and see the impending danger. They would turn to the city and shout and would cry, The 
The enemy is coming. The enemy is coming day and night, 24-7. They were watching so that they could get ready. This is a prophetic a prophetic demonstration to the New Testament church. God has set watchmen on the wall. Come on, royal priesthood. You are the watchman on the wall over your family. I understand my job. I am the watchman over the wall over this church, but you are a watchman on the wall over your family. It's your job to cry out, to warn them of the dangers that lie ahead. You say, Pastor, you're meddling a little bit too much. Am I? Mom and dad, they're all up in my business, all up in my space, trying to tell me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. No, they are the watchmen on the wall trying to see you saved. They're not against you. They are for you. I know our young people aren't in here this morning, but they need to hear this when they listen online. I came this morning to tell you your family's not against you. Your pastor's not against you. The ministry's not against you. They are for you. They are the watchmen for your soul. Come on, priest. You gotta cry loud. You can't afford to keep silent. The greatest danger today is that people have lost respect for both the watchman and the word of the watchman. Listen to this. I've set a watchman over you. Jeremiah 6 17. I've set a watchman over you saying. Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, Jeremiah 6, 17. You can read it for yourself. I set a watchman over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. Is that not the day you live? If you're the head of your house, if you're the priest of your home, God will hold you accountable. You must cry out. But the Bible said there is a day coming when they're going to say, we're not going to hearken. The issue is, is some of us say, God, my child is in trouble. She was running with the wrong crowd. He was with the wrong group. But I think I hear the voice of God saying, did you teach her? Did you show him the right way? Did you warn them? Did you cry aloud? Did you teach them the ways of the Lord? Don't you know this is absolutely your responsibility, royal priesthood? I believe there are some that may be at a crossroads today. And if we don't begin to cry aloud and warn our families, we could lose them into the trap of the enemy. Hear me today. When I say I believe that God has called us into the kingdom, into the kingdom of priests, into the royal priesthood for such a time as this. I hasten to a close with a very familiar story of a person by the name of Esther. Israel was about to be destroyed by Wicked Haman, who had influenced the king. But Mordecai had raised Esther up as his own daughter and had taught her the right way, and now she was the queen. And the proclamation went out 
all the Jews will be destroyed and killed on a certain day. So Mordecai wept and cried and fasted at the gate. Esther sent to inquire of him, What's wrong with you, Mordecai? Did you know that it is possible to live in the king's house and not understand the heart of a king? Just because we show up to church doesn't mean we have our senses tuned to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. He said to Esther, we're going to be killed. Go in and ask the king for mercy upon Israel. But she said, I'm just as you are. I'm, I'm not allowed into his chamber either. If, if I go in and he doesn't find favor with me and stretches out his scepter toward me, I... I will be killed. Mordecai sent a message back to her. He said, Esther, you better understand this. Don't think just because you are in the king's palace that you will escape. Don't think that just because you live here, just because you're in the church, that everything's going to be all right. Don't think you're going to get by and not be destroyed if you don't cry out for us. He said, Esther, don't, don't keep silent. We need your voice right now because your voice could save the nation. And then the powerful words, and it's scripted and put on murals, and we wonder the background of it. I just gave it to you. We need your voice, Esther. For who knows but what thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this. As the weight of that reality settles down upon every heart that is in this room right now, as God is speaking to your heart right now, Why would God choose you? And why would God choose now? If he did not have a plan and a purpose that was far greater than anything imaginable. Who knows what you have come into the kingdom such a time as this who are you going to affect who are you going to reach what difference are you going to make maybe it's your voice that saves your family maybe Esther it's your voice that shit that saves the nation I can see her as she sends back the message to Mordecai call all the people together and call a solemn fast for three days because I have made a decision that I'm going to be the voice for Israel. I am not going to keep silent. 
I'm going into the king. If I perish, I perish. But I refuse to remain silent and ensure death and destruction. It's decision time for us today. Are we willing to put everything on the line to save those that God has put under our care? Are we willing to put everything on the line for the gifts and callings that God has put in your life? Are you willing to put everything on the line for that ministry that God is tugging at your heart for? Come on, royal priesthood. You are responsible. You're responsible for those that are under your care. You are the voice that they're going to hear. Come on, high priest. Come on, your family is your responsibility. Your ministry is your responsibility. Those children that are under your care are your responsibility. Those lost souls that God has put under you, they are your responsibility. You have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I reach for every person in this room this morning, and I ask you, are you willing to stand where you are today and declare, I am no longer going to just drift through and pass on the things of God and the things of worship to everybody else but I understand I am the royal priesthood I am the one that God has called into this generation for this time for such a time as this it's my voice that God needs it's my hands that God needs it's my, my labor that God needs I'm going to be available to him I'm going to be his hands his feet his voice I am I am a royal priesthood and I am going to act like I am. I'm going to take responsibility for worship in this house. I'm going to take responsibility for the things of God in this house. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody ought to go ahead and join these that are moving this morning. God's calling you today. He's calling you out of a life of darkness. He's calling you into his marvelous light. Come on, royal priesthood. Let's go. Let's gather in as a sign today. I'm making that step. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the world behind me and the cross before. By the grace of God, I will serve the Lord. I have made my decision. I have said. Say yes to the Lord, hands lifted high all over this building right now. Say yes. He wants to use you for his glory. Come on, say yes to it. 